people. All right. Well, God, we love you. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We love you with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our soul, all of our strength, all of everything that's within us. We love you. We love you. Wonderful. Okay, well, I'm going to hop in to just some things. I know I've been all over the place. Yama, I'm going to have you do your testimony next week. Is that okay? Will you be here? All right. Grab my Bible. Awesome. I'm just all out of order today. I'm in order, but I'm out of order. Right? Good. You guys can just read your bulletins for announcements. Right, there's nothing on there that, unless, you know, we don't see it on the, the bulletin. So awesome. I want to go today, well, I was about to go one place, but I feel like the Lord's just leading me another place. So I don't know whose Bible it is, but it's there. Um, Tracy, can I um, see that word that you wrote for Doug? There was a scripture that you read that I felt like went in line with where God was just taking me. Let's open our Bibles open to Philippians chapter 2. It says this in Philippians 2.14 in the Amplified, uh, which Tracy was reading. I'm going to start reading it, though, in verse 13 in the Amplified Version. It says, not in your own strength, for it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. Now, I'm just going to highlight that first part that it said it is not in your own strength, right? So you got to kind of recognize that's the start here, not in your own strength, not in your own power, not in and of yourselves, how many of you know the scripture that says, apart from me, you can do nothing? Do you think Jesus actually meant that? That apart from me, you can do nothing? Well, because really, we can do some stuff. I could I could probably drive a car without Jesus, and I could brush my teeth, and I could get dressed probably without Jesus. There are so, so wait a minute. If he says I can do nothing without him, but I actually can do some things without him, what does it mean? I mean, why do we have to say, not in your own strength? The reason we have to say that is because there's a possibility that you will do something in your own strength. The reason why Jesus had to say, apart from me, you can do nothing, is because the reality of is that if you aren't careful, you will do something apart from him. You hear what I'm saying? So you've got to look at it in that, in that context. So you have strength, but it's not in that strength. You have ability to do, but it's not in that ability to do, right? That the kingdom is released, right? That the new creation that you have become is visible. It is not in your own strength or your own doing that you became you or that you are you. Let me keep going. It says here, do all things without grumbling or fault finding and complaining and questioning and doubting among yourselves. It says so that you may show yourselves to be blameless. Now, a lot of times we read this and we say it's like something we've got to do. 
Don't grumble, fault, fine, or complain, or question, or doubt. And if I do that, then I'll be blameless. Okay, we read it like that. But what it's actually saying is because you are blameless, because you're already blameless, don't complain, or fault, fine, or grumble, or question, or doubt. See, you're, you're not doing it to become blameless. It's because you are blameless, you don't do it. Does that make sense? And it's not of your own strength that you became blameless. Right? You were made blameless. And he amplified, amplifies it even more. It says, blameless, guileless, innocent, and uncontaminated children of God. Blameless, guileless, innocent, uncontaminated children of God. Then it goes on to say, without blemish, faultless, unrebukable. Now, if you read this wrong, you'll think that in order to become blameless, guileless, innocent, uncontaminated children of God, without blemish, faultless, unrebukable, you'll think that in order to be that, you have to stop grumbling, you have to stop fault-finding, You have to stop complaining, you have to stop questioning, and you have to stop doubting. And if you do those things, you'll you'll be blameless, right? You'll be guileless, innocent, uncontaminated children of God. You'll be without blemish, you'll be faultless, and you'll be unrebukable. But that is is a lens through which we read the Bible. If you have a works-based lens, and you don't have a finished work lens, there's two kinds of work. There's a works lens and a finished work lens. And in the finished work, you do something to be something. In a works lens, right? I'm sorry, in a works lens, you're you're working to be something. Okay? You're doing something. In this case, you're not doing something so you can be something. You're not fault-finding. You're not grumbling. You're not complaining. You're not... Right? You're not doing those things. And because I'm not doing those things, I'm therefore blameless. So I'm working to be something. But in a finished works lens, you're working from being something already. So I am blameless. I am unblemished. I am unrebukable. Man, these words are powerful. I am this. So therefore, why in the world would I complain? Why in the world would I grumble? Why in the world would I be addicted to something? Right? If I'm powerful, why would I submit to anything that has less power than me? The only way I would do that is if for somehow I thought I was weak. And the truth is your own strength is weak. Your own identity apart from Christ is weak. But we read it wrong. I know for years, if you read the Bible and it condemns you, if you read the Bible and all you can see when you read the Bible is what you're not, you've missed it. Because really, when you read the Bible, the Bible is a story about what you are and about what you've become. And so it's telling you to act like it. I made you a new creation, so act like it. But, you know, it's okay if you don't know how yet. 
right? That's why babies need milk. They're unskilled in the word of righteousness. They're unskilled in how to allow their identity in Jesus to be their identity. Remember I said that for a whole year, when I was praying for people, praying for the sick, praying for things, I started meditating on a scripture that said, Christ within me, the hope of glory. For a whole year, I didn't, I didn't do the Bible in a year gig. Read the Bible in a year. Well, if you're reading the Bible in a year with a wrong lens, you might as well put your Bible down. I'm just saying. If you don't have a finished work lens, if you don't have a Christ within you lens, you'll read the Bible and think that Abraham's prayers are how you're supposed to pray. You'll think that how David acted in the Psalms, holy, don't take your spirit from me. You'll think that that's the way you're supposed to pray to God. Because you don't have a finished work lens. Okay, what do I mean by a finished work lens? I mean that you are born again. I mean that you are a new creature. I mean that the old sin nature was nailed to the cross. You don't have a sin nature and a righteous nature. You are not schizophrenic. Right? The old sin nature passed away. It died. It died. It died. Well, why do I still sin? Well, number one, you still believe you have a sin nature. You still identify with yourself as a sinner. You still think you're a sinner. And as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If I think I'm an addict, am I going to act like an addict? However you think, whoa, is how you're going to act. Behavior comes from belief. If you want to change your behavior, you change your belief. If you want to act right, you have to believe you are right. See, the, the, the strength of sin is the law. That's what the Bible teaches us. The strength of sin is the law. Okay, just go with me to Romans 6. I mean, here's why this is so important. If you really don't get this, all of the gifts of the Spirit that flow out of you will be contaminated. You will prophesy from an old covenant perspective. You will prophesy from a works perspective. You know, God is saying, if you'll do these three things, he'll bless you. God is saying, if you'll do these seven things, you'll, you'll walk in wholeness. You know, rather than recognizing there's nothing left to do except believe. In Romans chapter 6, I heard Winnie and what's the guy's name, Banoff? Georgian, Banoff. I heard him say one time that unless you've spent five years in Romans 6, you don't know the gospel. You know, if you haven't really spent time in the epistles, then you don't understand the gospel. Because the, the, the revelation of what happened on the cross was given to the Apostle Paul. Right? And he said, I wasn't, flesh and blood didn't teach this to me. It was revealed to me. And here's what it says. Verse 6, I mean, verse 1, it says, what shall we say to all this? I'm going to read the Amplified. Are we to remain in sin 
in order that God's grace, favor, and mercy may multiply and overflow? Certainly not. How can we who died to sin live in it any longer? Are you ignorant of the fact that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by the baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, so we too might habitually live and behave in the newness of life. For if we have become one with him, underline one with him, if we have become one with him by sharing a death like his, Shall we also be one with him in sharing his resurrection by a new life lived for God? We know that our old unrenewed self was nailed to the cross with him. Our old unrenewed, you could say our old sinning self. Our old sinning self our old unrenewed self was nailed to the cross with him. Now listen, this is such a mystery. I get it. You're thinking, well, I wasn't even born yet. So how in the world was my old renewed self, unrenewed self? Because he did it for all of mankind. He did it for every human being that had ever lived and will ever live. He was the propitiation of the sins of the world. The world's sins were nailed to the cross. How many of the people's sins? Was it just the people that say, oh, I believe in Jesus? Well, none of us believed in Jesus when it happened. Maybe, the you know, just a few of the disciples, maybe a few of the people that he had healed. But, it, you know, I mean, when he, when he, when he got, when we, he was nailed, those, not only did the nails go through his hand, They went through your unrenewed self. Your unrenewed self was crucified with Christ. And this is what it says. In order that our body, which is the instrument of sin, might be made ineffective, inactive for evil, and that we may no longer be the slaves of sin. You are not a slave to sin. You may feel like a slave. You may act like a slave. But the truth is, you are not a slave. And until until you know you're free, you don't even know to act free. Because you still think you're a slave. You think sin has power over you. But sin has no power over you because you're not under the law. Matter of fact, in Romans 5, it says, where there was no law, God couldn't even hold people guilty. Right? But sin still reigned. That sin entered through one man named Adam. And through sin, death reigned. Romans 5 is another one. Maybe you want to spend five years there too. Because Romans 5 is a masterpiece. 
It's a masterpiece of a compare and contrast between Adam and Jesus. Do you know Adam was the problem and Jesus solved it? And we just got caught up in the problem. It says that through one man's sin in Romans 5, death reigned. That is in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. It says, therefore, as sin came into the world through one man and death as the result of sin, so death spread to all men. It says, no one being able to stop it or escape its power, right? Because all men sinned. It's saying that through Adam, the sin problem came into the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but I didn't choose to be a sinner. Did someone come to you in your mother's womb and say, would you like to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or would you like to eat of the tree of life? And did you in the womb say, oh, give me some fruit. Give me some of that, you know, tree of the life and the tree of the knowledge. Let me eat that one. I I choose to be a sinner. Did anybody choose that? Did anybody choose their parents in here? Did you get to choose what state you were born in? Did you get to choose what color you are? What about your eyes? Did you get to choose that? There were things that were out of our control. Does that seem fair? I'm going to be punished for something Adam did. I didn't have a say in it. I didn't choose it. I was born this way. I just let this hit you for a second. You know, I've had to have sessions with Nate because this was so grained into me as a child. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. I thought I did something wrong. And I grew up feeling like I was wrong because I was a sinner. And I heard, and God had to tell me, you didn't do anything wrong. You didn't even have a say in the matter. You know what you did wrong? You were born. Stop that. Shame on you for being born. Now, I'm telling you, when you really stop and break this thing down, something is wrong. Then it goes on in Romans 5 to say, well, it starts to compare and contrast the offense or the trespass of Adam with the righteousness and the right works of Jesus. And I'm paraphrasing here, but it says which is more powerful, what Adam did or what Jesus did. And it starts to say they both are, if, you know, you, when you were in grade school, did you have to write those compare and contrast papers? You know, like you'd say, compare and contrast an apple and an orange. And you'd say, well, apple is like an orange because they're both fruit. But an apple is not like an orange because an apple has a peel and an orange has, you know, whatever that's called. An apple has a skin and, you know what I'm saying? Like you're you're comparing, you know what I'm saying? They're alike, but they're different. And Romans 5 is, is just like that. It's saying there are certain things that Adam did that you can compare with Jesus and they're alike. For example, Adam sinned and everybody became a sinner. And Jesus went to the cross, and everybody was made righteous. Wait a second, Chalice, what are you saying? Let me just read it. It says, in verse 14, it says, 
Well, to be sure, sin was in the world before ever the law was given. But sin is not charged to men's account where there is no law. So how could God come to somebody and say, you're doing something wrong when there was no law to tell them they were doing something wrong? That'd be like there being no speed limit on the road and a policeman coming to give you a ticket for speeding when there was no sign posting the speed limit. Be like, how could I even know what was wrong if you didn't tell me what was wrong? There was no law to say incest was evil. There was no law to, to, to say anything was right or wrong. So the law came in to show us what sin was. That's why it's the strength of sin. It defines sin. And this right here tells us, says, before the law, sin was there. But you couldn't charge it to men's account. I couldn't tell you that's wrong. Because there wasn't a law. But sin was sin was still going on. Now listen, Adam brought it in. We got a problem, Houston. But we, they don't even know they got a problem. So let's put the law in there. So they can see they got a problem. Let's get, let's let them see that apart from me, they're hopeless. That they cannot do right in and of themselves. Matter of fact, Romans 7, I'm sorry, Romans, wait a minute, I gotta find Romans. Where am I talking about in Romans? Romans 7 is all about the struggle between I know to do right, but I don't do right. I don't want to do wrong, but then I go and do wrong. You know, I have heard Christians come to me and say, oh, I'm in Romans 7. I'm just, I'm just, I, I can't control myself. I just keep doing what's wrong and I don't want to do it, but I keep doing it. And I'm just, da, 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 da. it's just, I'm just, I'm just like Paul. But you didn't read the whole chapter. Because at the end of chapter 7, Paul's like, so like, throws his hands up, who will save me from this body of death? And he says, oh, thank God, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ saved us from this struggle. But we haven't been taught that we don't have a sin nature. Now, it says this, verse 15. Well, let's start in 14. The law wasn't charged to people before this, the law came. It says, yet death held sway from Adam to Moses. So even though there wasn't a law, even though there was nothing being charged to people's account, people were still dying because of it. And it says, and even all those, it says, even over those who did not themselves transgress a positive command as Adam did. Meaning, Everybody's dying, but they didn't disobey God. So everybody's suffering the consequences of one man's disobedience. I'm sorry, but that is messed up. Nowhere on the planet would this fly. Like I punished my, my daughter Ella for something Lily did. Matter of fact, I don't just punish my daughter Ella. I killed my daughter Ella for something that she didn't do. I didn't tell her not to eat of the tree of the life. I, I told 
I mean, not to eat the tree of knowledge. I told Lily not to eat. But Lily ate, so Ella's got to die. I'm just saying. It doesn't even make sense when you think about it. Yet death held sway from Adam to Moses, the lawgiver, even over those who did not themselves transgress a positive command as Adam did. Now listen to this. Adam was a type. He was a prefigure. Have you ever heard of the word foreshadow? Right? Like in literature, where one thing happens and it's a foreshadow of something else that's going to happen. Well, it's the same thing as a prefigure. Adam was a prefigure of the one who was to come. But listen to the Amplifier, it says, in reverse. The former destructive, the latter saving. Are you starting to follow what I'm getting to here? It says, but God's free gift, which is Jesus and what he accomplished, is not at all to be compared. So first of all, they're comparing. Adam is like Jesus in the sense that Jesus is like Adam in reverse. Where Adam brought death to everybody, Jesus brings life to everybody. In verse 15, it says, but God's free gift is not at all to be compared to the trespass. His grace is all out of proportion to the fall of man. Here's what he's saying. You can compare Adam and Jesus to a degree, but really they're nothing alike because you can't compare the punishment that came through Adam to God's grace. God's grace is all out of proportion when compared to the punishment that came through Adam. See, grace is not earned. Grace is not fair. Grace, it says this, For if many died through one man's falling away, his lapse, his offense, much more profusely, did God's grace and the free gift that comes through the undeserved favor of one man, Jesus Christ, abound and overflow to and for the benefit of many. It says, nor is the free gift. So he's now saying this is how you can't compare them. This is the contrast part. You can't, you can't compare the punishment to the grace. And you also can't compare the free gift to the effect of one man's sin. It says this in verse 16, nor is the free gift at all to be compared with the effect that one man's sin. So it's saying the free gift can't be compared to what happened as a result of one man's sin. For the sentence following the trespass of one brought condemnation. If you want to know where the, the root of condemnation came from, it came from Adam. It says, where is the free gift following many transgressions? So now you got Adam's transgression, but because of what Adam did, everybody's now transgressing. So he says, the gift following many transgressions, it brings justification, an act of righteousness. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned, 
through that one, much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace, his unmerited favor, and the free gift of righteousness, putting them into right standing with himself, reign as kings in life through one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Verse 18, it says, so then if one man's trespass, I'm going to skip that little amplified piece, it says, led to condemnation for all men, so one man's act of righteousness leads to acquittal and right standing with God and life for all men. Now, I know when it says all men, that messes with our heads. You know, when people receive Jesus, all they are doing is hearing what God did for them. Jesus, it says here, his act, Jesus' act of righteousness was the acquittal and the right standing with God and life given to all men. He died for all. He died for all of us. Some of us just know it, and some of us don't. Are you following what I'm saying? Some people just don't know it. They don't know that Jesus' death was an acquittal. It was an acquittal. It was literally case dismissed. Why? Why? Why does that seem right? We, we've been so programmed to think that is wrong. They, they, they should not get that. They shouldn't be acquitted. They should burn. They should burn. They should go to hell. They should be judged for what they've done wrong. Well, God didn't even charge the sins to anyone until the law was given. I'm just telling you, he didn't, he didn't, there was a whole period in history where he couldn't charge people for sin. He could not do it because they didn't have a law. They couldn't give him speeding tickets because there wasn't a speed limit. He couldn't do it. How can you prosecute for someone, something? I mean, I remember, this is a terrible example, but it just came to my head, but I remember when ecstasy was legal in the 80s. And I took it. And, you know, I could have just took it with the cop if I wanted to. Dude, have some X. He, he couldn't do anything. Why? Because it wasn't illegal. He couldn't charge anybody because there was no law. Now, wait a second. Jesus did what to the law? He fulfilled it? Wow, the law isn't in effect anymore? Oh, is it just effect for the people that don't know that it's not in effect? No, I'm sorry. The Emancipation Proclamation set everybody free. Now, whether they knew they were free or not didn't matter because the law had been abolished. So what if God is not relating to mankind through the law at all? What if? What if he really did acquit? What if he acquitted everybody? What if he, bam, court 
dismissed, case dismissed against all of mankind. Peace on earth. Goodwill towards men. What if he's no longer holding trespasses against people? What if the sin problem of Adam was dealt with? And now the only thing that separates God and anybody is their knowledge of the truth. And they don't know what they, what's been done for them. Heck, they might, might not even realize they're a, they were born in sin. They may, who knows what they think? Who knows what any of us think? Until we hear the truth. See, having a relationship with yourself based on the law, when God is not having a relationship with you based upon the law, makes no sense. Keeping a record of your wrongs when love doesn't keep a record of wrongs, I'm sorry, isn't that 1 Corinthians 13? Love keeps no record of wrongs? Wait a second. I thought God was like Santa. He's got a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who was naughty and who was nice. And he's going to visit your house with blessings if you're on the nice list. But if you're on the naughty list, you're going to get some coal. No, that's Santa. It's not in here. I know it's scandalous. I get this. Because all of a sudden we have to stop looking at unbelievers the way we've been looking at unbelievers. There's a reason they're called unbelievers. There's a reason they're called the lost. They're clueless. They're clueless that God has removed the wall that separated them from him. Did you know the sinner's prayer isn't anywhere in the Bible? Those that confess Jesus as Lord are saved. So what do you say? Jesus is my Lord. Jesus did that for me. Wow. He did? Cool. I just got saved. Somebody told me what Jesus did, and I went, oh, he did that for me? That's awesome. Cool. I'm saved. You, 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 you awaken to what was accomplished. You hear the good news. How can they be saved if, if they don't hear? And how can they hear if we're not sent? But what are we sent to say? You know, we're, 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 we're just, we're reconciled, the, the reconciliation has been accomplished. There's nothing that stands between you and God except your ignorance. And you know, we have a lot of unbelieving believers who are still separated through, from God. Even though they think that they've been saved. What have you been saved from? Saved from separation from God. Because in him is eternal life. Where do you think eternal life is something apart from him? He is the life. He is the light of men. He is eternal life. It's not a way of being apart from God where you're just immortal. 
It's God's life. God's life is the only eternal life. He is the resurrection. He cannot be killed. His body might, you know, be able to be crucified, but you couldn't kill Jesus. Nope. I'm telling you, Romans is a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece that unpacks the cross. It's a masterpiece. I mean, you know, Romans 4. It just tells you that all along people were made righteous by faith. They never worked. They ne- the law was never, the- even when there was a law, you know, the law is still not the way people were made righteous. It says Abraham, it was accounted to him righteousness because he believed God. He just, God said, you're the father of, you know, a multitude. And Abraham said, okay. And it was accounted to him righteousness. He just believed. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world and he was raised and you have, there's this free gift. It's called righteousness. Here, here it is. Here's the gift I'm giving you. Okay, there's your righteousness. There you go. Take it. You don't have to write me a check for it. It's free. You don't have to work for it. It's not free. You don't have to work it off. It's, it's totally free. My nature, which is righteous, I'm giving you. Here it is. My, my righteous nature is now your nature. And that old nature you had, oh, that was nailed to the cross. So we might have, it should have erased that from your thinking. That's your nature. My nature is your nature. I made you that way. And 2 Corinthians 5, and I'm going to end with this. I could do a whole, we could do a whole weekend on this. So 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Verse 18, and all things are of God. What things? All things are of God. What things? All things are of God. What things? All things are of God. What do you mean all things? Wait, what do you mean all things? Who has reconciled us to himself. What things? All things. And has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Be reconciled to God because he's already reconciled to you. Into this, verse 19, it was God in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Let me read it in the Amplified. It says, it was God personally present in Christ, reconciling and restoring the world. I'm sorry, does that say the church? Am I misreading that? I think that says the world. Reconciling and restoring the world to favor with himself. What, the world has favor with God? What about be ye separate, come out from among them? Uh Uh-oh. God's not separate. God has not come out from among them. 
Well, what is that scripture? It's out of context. You can't take these scriptures out of context. You have to read the whole chapter. You have to know the historical context and the people that he was even speaking it to. What problem is he even talking about? Is he talking about going to the club? I'm just saying there wasn't a club. We put we put it into like the minds of our present day when the, the people of that day wouldn't have had that, that idea. It says here that he was reconciling and restoring the world to favor with himself, not counting up and holding against men their trespasses, but canceling them and committing to us the message of reconciliation. And here's the message of it. It says here in the Amplified what it is, of the restoration to favor. That means people that don't know God have favor. What, he likes them? He actually likes people that don't know him? Well, actually, while we were sinners, he died for us. So he didn't just like them. He loves them. It's like all of a sudden we were a sinner. I mean, I've heard people preach and say, until you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, God can't even talk to you. Wow. That, you know, I guess all the little kids, God can't talk to them. Did you know everybody that he came to minister to in his earthly ministry wasn't saved? Did you know the disciples that he trained and he used to do miracles in his name, they weren't saved? They were unregenerate men. So he can't use unsaved people. Well, he didn't have anybody else to use. And then there was just a little group of them. You know? I mean, what about, you know, the dream? I mean, just, it's not true. I mean, he's given dreams to Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, it's just not true. It's not even true if you read your Bible. Like, you don't have to really search it that much. And then it says in verse 20, so we are Christ's ambassadors, God making his appeal as though as it were through us. We, as Christ's personal representatives, beg you for his sake to lay hold of the divine favor now offered you and be reconciled to God. So here's the message. You have unbelievable favor. You are the child of a king. Can you imagine, like, if somebody came to your house, like the clearinghouse sweepstakes, and said, I have come to tell you something that you are not going to believe. You are royalty. I know you've never known it till just now when I told you, but trust me, you are royalty. You are the child of the king. And I want to introduce you to your father. I know you've never met him. I know you've never, and hit this prince, this prince of peace, he came and spilled his blood so you would know who you really are. Someone died so that you could find out that you were the child of the king. Now I'm going to take you and you're going to come meet your daddy. And your whole life is about to change because you've, you've been living like an orphan. You've been living like a slave. You've been living like you're not worthy. But until they meet Jesus, it's impossible for them to be like Jesus. 
We're trying to make homosexuals stop being homosexual. Hit them over the head with the law. Let them read the Ten Commandments. Read them and change. Or if you're going to do that, you go do it somewhere else. Not in my church. Not in my neighborhood. Not in my bakery. It's messed up, y'all. It's not Jesus. It's a form, but it's not him. Well, Shalise, what are we supposed to do? Just let the world go to hell in a handbasket? Are we just supposed to, you know, just let the whole let the world become the culture that we live in? Are we just supposed to do that? Are we just supposed to, you know, turn a blind eye to it? No, we have a commandment, and it's called love. And I'll tell you what, until you love someone, you don't have a right to speak into their life. And I'll tell you what, when you love someone, you talk to them different. And if you're in relationship with someone and it's a loving relationship, then you can have a real conversation. But until you have that, who do you think you are? I'm a believer and you're not going to speak into my life. I don't know you. I don't know your character. I hear your religion. But I don't hear you. I'm just telling you guys. This is how it, that's, it's not working. And it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Because people rebel from that. I'm just It's not going to work. The strategy that we think a lot of people are going with, I can see it, it is not going to work. It is not going to bring revival to this country. It is not going to bring reformation to this country. It is not going to cause people to fall down on their knees and worship Jesus. It's going to cause people to run from anything that looks like that. Why do you think people leave our churches? Why do you think there's a whole house church movement? Why do you think, I mean, we have real issues. And there's a real blindness to what the issues are. So I'm saying all of that to say this. You need to spend some time in Romans <laughs> and realize really what Jesus has accomplished. And that wall that separates us and them does not exist. The only us and them is us and the devil. We are not against people. I mean, am I saying, you know what? You know, the whole world's going to go blah, blah. Yes, it will, unless we can love people. Unless we can really love people. And guess what? Do you know that God loves you right where you are? I mean, what do you mean you love somebody right where they are? At least you've got to speak the truth in love. Do you know that, that is in, that's an Ephesians 4 scripture, and it's written to the church. It's written to the church that we grow up together speaking the truth to, in love to one another. That is a Christian community scripture. Read it in context. 
Well, Shalise, should I not speak the truth in love to an unbeliever? Well, I don't know. Maybe you should operate in word of knowledge. Maybe you should do what the Father is doing and not assume that you know what the Father is doing and just spew 16 scriptures to somebody and think you're preaching the gospel. When you lead with love, which is the whole point of the gifts of the Spirit, their hearts will open. You know, but we have an agenda to change people rather than love people. And do you know that there's only one person on the planet that can change anybody? I mean, even us trying to say the only person you can change is yourself. Well, I don't know about you, but there's been a lot of things in my life that I was powerless to change. And I get angry because I think, you know, I get angry because I've actually been in a place where if I didn't have a miracle, I wasn't changing. And I've been in a place where I was condemned for that. And because people want you to pick yourself up by the bootstraps and help yourself. God helps those who help themselves. No, he doesn't. He helps the helpless. He helps the helpless. He doesn't help the helpful. I mean, the helpful don't need him. Like the God told him, if you could have done it yourselves, there wouldn't have been any blood. So I'm just saying, we got to detox from some of this stuff. And it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's ev- if you don't understand the finished work and the, the real implication of what it accomplished, you can't start really learning any other doctrines yet. Because it's going to affect all the rest of them. You've got to start with the cross and what actually happened. And I'm telling you, it will mess you up. And it's going to mess you up for what kind of teaching you can listen to and what, what kind of stuff you can sit under, what kind of worship songs you can sing. I mean, I've always got that filter on. I mean, even today, the song we sang, you know, come move in this place. I mean, you know, there's a, there, I, I, totally the Holy there's a move of God. In a, in a corporate environment. You know, there totally is. But, I mean, if you don't have the right theology, you think we're waiting on something. You know? And, and we're, I, I'm just saying, you think we're waiting on a move of God. When you are the move of God. <laughs> oh, my God, you got to get moving. Get to moving. Holy Ghost, house of the Holy Ghost, get to moving. Holy Ghost wants to move. Okay, we'll carry him somewhere. You're the house. Carry that in the carry him somewhere and then let him out somewhere. I mean, you know, I mean, hey, anyway. All right. Well, I hope I'm blessing you guys. I I just so want us to get it. And I want because I'm telling you what, you mark my words. November eighth, twenty fifteen. The move of God that is coming to this country. <laughs> wow, it's going to upset the religious spirit.
And it's going to come, it's probably going to upset us. I'm just telling you, it's going to come through the most unlikely people. So we better get ready, church, to receive the ones that are carrying it. And I'm telling you, you better, if I was you, if I was, in, if I had a secular job and I went to work every day, you know who I'd be friends with? I'd find every gay person I could find. I'd find every partier I could find. Now this would assume that I, I weren't going to cause me to, you know, have gay sex and party. But if I was in a place where I didn't have to have gay sex and party, then I would befriend all of them. Right? You know, number one, it's going to reveal in you how religious you are. It's going to hit every little religious bone in your body. You know, so many of us think, well, you know, if I get around that, it's going to jump on me or something. And, you know, hey, if you're not free, it might. But, you know, you're free people. Then after I met all the homosexuals and I met all the, the, the partying people, then I'd probably go to just the really... Well, I might even meet them at the same time. I go to all the depressed people, all the sad people, maybe the people going through a divorce. I just find all the people who Jesus would find. And I'd be friends with them. You know, I remember when I used to have people that worked for me that were really religious. I had this one guy. That, I mean, this is just how far I come. You know, I mean, I, it's like you're all out in the world. Then I become a Pharisee. Then I, you know, it's like, uh, I'm so confused. Am I an elder brother? Am I a prodigal? What am I? Because I used to be a prodigal, but now I'm, elder, I'm an elder brother. I didn't know I was not, you know, he's just like, what? Because I, mean, I used to tell this one guy, he homeschooled his kids. And I would ask him, I'm like, did you turn your own butter too? Like, did you ride in a, did you ride in a carriage to come to work today? Now, I know that seems far-fetched, but that is how people think. They think we are so weird. It is not attractive. Let me tell you, I did not want to go over to his house for dinner. I'm just telling you, I didn't want to invite him over for dinner. God bless him. I'm sure he's, I mean, if you're hearing this, Mike, I mean, God bless you, you know, but I just thought you have five heads. How weird are you? And if this is Jesus, he is weird. That'd be one thing if he was, you know, raising the dead and I thought he was weird. I mean, I might think that's weird too, but I might make me think like, wow, that guy was dead, now he's not. Something's really, that's definitely got me thinking, you know. And I mean, I'm just saying, am I against homeschooling? No, I'm not against any, I'm not against anybody. What I'm against is a Christian club and a Christian culture that says, put Merry Christmas on your coffee cup because you're offending me. Starbucks taking Christmas out of my coffee. I mean, last year they had snowmen and Christmas trees. It's not like they had, you know, a cross on it or something. I'm just saying. All right. I'm going to get off my high horse and I'm going to call it, close it. Father, I thank you that you are doing something in the earth. 
that is going to reveal who you really are. And it is going to turn upside down everything that needs to be turned upside down. And God, you are going to use the least likely candidates to do something phenomenal. And I thank you, God, that a lot of us are those people. (laughs) We are the least likely candidates. And so we thank you that you're going to use us. So just flush all the junk down the toilet. Purge our hearts. Continue to show us the power of the blood. Continue to show us, you know, the the truth that it's a finished work. That 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 you are not angry at people. You're 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 the clearinghouse sweepstakes guy. I mean, you're going to tell everybody they're they're a child of the king. They're a child of the king. Peace, goodwill towards men. And God help us help us not just be all in a little bubble. Because we're afraid of sin. And help us not be the, help us be on the side of what you're doing. And give us the words to speak to the elder brothers. Because we don't, you know, we don't want to fight with them either. We're not trying to be ugly to anybody. We're trying to represent your wealth. And we're not mad at the elder brother. Heck, most of us have been that too. Some of us. Reformed elder brothers. We're so lost, we don't know who we are. So Father, help us. Give us, give us the words and the, the things to do and the understanding that we need so that we can be an accurate reflection of you. That we can be sons. And we can be ministers of reconciliation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I know I ran long. But I'm glad that you guys can hear it. You know? I know. The whole, and I, I'm sorry to take that out. You know, I know that whole thing about, so it's like the controversy. Ah, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of like just really, who? It's so irrelevant. It's just so irrelevant. It's just irrelevant. It's just so irrelevant. You know, a little Christian culture void of power. A little Christian culture that makes me feel comfortable that I live in a Christian nation. So, all right, I'll stop before I get myself in more trouble. All right, God bless you.